Good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. We continue, as Jared said, our series uh, in the book of Genesis. We're looking at the first 11 chapters. We labeled this series Origins because in these first 11 chapters, we see all that we need to see and believe to be true about our doctrine of who God is, about our theology, what we believe to be true about God, and our doxology, how we are to praise God out of those things. This morning I want to look at something very familiar to us. Marriage. I want to look at marriage in light of marriage was not our idea. Marriage was God's idea. It's always been God's idea. So God has a reason for marriage. We're going to look at three things this morning in this text. We're going to start with the problem. Not that marriage is the problem, but there's a reason for marriage because there was a problem. Then we're going to look at God's mighty provision because of the problem. And then last, we'll look at the premise of marriage. So God's, uh, we'll see the problem, the provision, and the premise. We must wrap our heads around this this morning, though. Oftentimes we come to this text, and though we've seen um, Adam and Eve and the creation of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1, we can come to Genesis chapter 2, we can come to this particular part of the passage and, and think that this is days or weeks old, months old, years old. No, this is within moments of Adam being made in the image of God. So within minutes of Adam being made, we see this, the problem. Now, if you remember back in chapter 1, God had said each day that He had created something, He said it is good. It is good. The first day it is good. The second day is good. All the way until we even read the sixth day and we hear that it is good. But I want you to wrap your minds around this for a moment. We're in the middle of the sixth day with this passage. And what does it say to start in verse 18, in the middle of the day, it says what? That it is not good. So God had created, up until this point, five days. He's in the middle of the creation story in day six. And in the middle of the creation story of day six, He says for the first time about all of His creation, it is not good. Now we know at the end of the day, it's very good. So I'd submit to you this morning, what makes the sixth day very good is marriage. But in the middle of the day, God looked down onto His creation and said something was not good. So we see automatically there's a problem. And what is the problem? What is the problem with the middle of the day? God says what the problem is. Read with me for a moment. It says this, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. So the problem is, in the middle of the day, the middle of the sixth day, the problem is that man is alone. Now why is that a problem? Because of what God said in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God said to uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God said, let us create Him in our own image. Let us make Him male and female. Let us create them. So the problem is that God, from our existence, from the moment He breathed life into us in Genesis 2, into our nostrils, 
We were created for one thing. And that's relationship with God, relationship with ourselves, and most importantly, relationships with other people. And the most important relationship is with your spouse. And so God had said, it's not good that man is alone. Because God is looking at His creation and saying, you are a relational being and now you are alone. But you see, Adam didn't see it as a problem. Like Adam wasn't walking around when he was created moments later wondering, why am I so alone? He was in perfect harmony with God. So it wasn't man that thought he had a problem. It was God that thought he had a problem. That's so important to see. It was not that Adam was eager to find a spouse. It was that God looked at him and wanted him to have a spouse. He said, it's not good that man shall be alone. Now, why is it not good that man shall be alone? Because of the promise and the command that comes in Genesis chapter 28. Remember what that command is in chapter 1. We see it in chapter 2 as well. It says this, that God called Adam to care for the land, to look over the land, to, to work the land, to till the land. But most importantly, he says this in verse 28. God understands that His promise and His command to Adam cannot be fulfilled if He is alone. And it says this, that God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So God knows that if we're alone without a spouse, we cannot fulfill His command. We cannot be obedient to Him. So He provides us with a spouse to go back to Genesis chapter 1 to be able to fulfill what He's called us to do, and that's be to fruitful and multiply. Now, I could stop there and talk the rest of the time about how marriage is for male and females only. There can be, I got one amen out of all that, we got problems. Like, there's no way for homosexual relationships to be fruitful and multiply. Now, you can cast stones at me, but you got to go through God first because He's made the commandment. I did not. I just want to be obedient to the command that He's set forth for us, and that's to be fruitful and to multiply. There is no multiplication with homosexual relationships. We could not fulfill what God called us to do. That is a command, and listen to me, it's not just a command from God, but this is where the world has got it wrong. It is a promise from God. Children are promises to us. They are gifts to us. And so we can look at the command for heterosexual relationships, but we also must tether that with the promise of childbearing. Children are a promise and a gift from God. Therefore, they can only happen within heterosexual relationships. Now again, I could speak all morning on that, and that alone I will not this morning. But God said, to Adam, it is not good that you are alone. And catch this, what he says. In the verse, he says this, I will make you a helper. Like, I will do something for you that you cannot do on your own. I'm going to make a provision for you. And my provision for you is I will find something 
that is suitable for you, and I will make it. You can skip down in the verse where he takes Adam's rib. I'm going to come back to this. But that word made into a woman, that word literally means he built it. That God in his wisdom and his sovereignty knew what we needed and he was going to build it on our on his own without any help from us. He does not need our help to build a suitable helper for us. He's got it all under control. And yet I would submit to you how often do we take looking for a spouse into our own hands and don't cry out to a holy God, please God, you make me a spouse that is suitable for me. We get impatient with God. Again, that's a whole nother sermon. But he says this, I will make you a helper that is fit for you or fit for him. The word helper means this in the text. The Hebrew word helper means this, to assist and encourage. It means that we will, that, that person will supply what is lacking in us. You see, God gave us spouses because God knew there was something lacking in us. Men, listen to me. He's talking to Adam, the man. We don't have it all together. We are not all sufficient creatures. We need help. And God knew that from the beginning. So let us start at the beginning. Let us relinquish control and look to our wives to help us. That is what God has given them to us for. To help us. To assist us. Because we are inadequate. Do you catch that in the passage? Adam was the most perfect being that had ever been created. There was no sin in him yet at this moment. And still, God looked at him and said, there are still insufficiencies in you, the perfect creation. And so I will help you find a help mate to assist you in what I've called you to do. Because you cannot till the land by yourself. You cannot work the land by yourself. You, you cannot oversee the land by yourself. And by the grace of God and the goodness of God and amen, the gift of God, you cannot have sex by yourself to have babies. Amen, men? I thought I'd get a few more amens on that one. So God gave us a wife to assist us in all things. I'm going to get this in a moment. We are equal to our wives. Yet we have a unique role in their lives. We are equal to them. But we are called to shepherd and guide them. I'll get there later in the passage. Now look at the genius of God in this text. The genius of God that we are not alone. He does something very strange if you look at the text. So God says this. I'll make him a helper. But he doesn't stop and make it, makes him a helper. You see that in the text? He said, I'm going to make you a helper, but I want to show you something first, Adam. And what does he do? In verse 19. There's a strange twist in the plot story. It says, now out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. 
Is that strange to anyone else? He just said, I'm going to make you a helper. And then all of a sudden, he brings animals in front of him. Anyone wonder why would God do that? Well, God doesn't need Adam and his creativity to name the creatures. What God is doing in his wisdom is to show Adam what he needs. So two by two, the first time animals are seen two by two, that happens well before the ark. God parades the greatest zoologist in front of Adam that Adam would begin to name these creatures male and female. So I don't know how long this took. I heard one commentary say this. This is the reason that woman wasn't made first because we'd still be here waiting to name the animals. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. Here on your own. Thanks, Frank. I'll see. I'll see what happens. So all of a sudden, these animals become prating before Adam. Two by two, male and female. And all of a sudden, at the very end of the line, Adam steps back and he has this revelation. Like everyone else on the planet has a companion, but I don't. So God now, through his wisdom, shows Adam what the problem is. He doesn't just tell him the problem, he shows him the problem. Again, I could have a whole sermon just on that. This is how we do not come from monkeys. Because if he would be naming the animals, he would have stopped at the apes, the chimpanzees, and the monkeys, and he would have found a, what? A suitable helper. So we're not, we don't come from apes just on that one passage alone. Apes are not our suitable helper. There's no procreation with apes. So he gets to the end and he has this revelation from God through animals that, wait, I am alone. And it says that in the passage. And Adam found no helpmate for himself. For the first time in Adam's short existence, he is lonely. He wants and desires something more. Now think about that for a moment. Adam was in complete harmony with God. No sin at all. And yet there's this moment that he's lonely. Because he looks at animals and sees they have companionship. Why? Because it's wired in humans to desire relationships with other human beings. And Adam is awakened to that. Through this gift of naming the animals. And so what does God do? God brings the provision. It says this in verse 21. So the problem is loneliness. The problem is there's no helper. Now the provision comes from the Lord and the Lord alone. Says this, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, upon the man Adam, and while he was sleeping, took one of his ribs and closed it in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, "This 
at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken out of man. God, after revealing what the problem is, God then provides the solution. And the solution is going to come from Adam through God. And God caused the deep sleep to come upon the man. Anyone ever wonder why God put him to sleep? Oftentimes I came to the passage and thought, well, of course he put him to sleep. It's like God anesthesia. Now that would be some good anesthesia. But I don't believe it's for anesthesia. I don't believe that God put Adam to sleep to cause him not to feel the pain. I believe that God caused Adam to fall asleep so that Adam could not have any say-so in what God was about to make. Like, so he had to be completely removed from the situation so that when Adam was a part of the process, if he was awake, then he could, he could not say to God, no, I don't, I don't really like those parts. I don't like that about her. Like he had to be completely removed and God would have to be totally in control. So that's the reason I believe that God caused the deep sleep to come over Adam so that Adam could not have any part into what God was about to do. That God would make complete provision for man. I believe it speaks to the rest of the Bible. That man plays no role in God's provision for us. We have no part in God's provision. It is a free gift from God with our hands totally removed. I'll say it this way. When we are in our sin, we are in a deep, deep slumber. And God made a provision through Christ and Christ alone. And so God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And God provided Adam exactly what he needed. And where did he take it from? I think this is one of the places in our text that is lost in translation. It says that Adam was put to sleep. God took a rib. Just a way of biology. Men and women, we have the same number of ribs, just to let you know. Like, only Adam had one less rib. Just a heads up on that. But God took a rib. But the real word in the text is this. God took his side from Adam. We see that in a few moments. He says what? You're bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Anyone ever wondered why God would take a rib from Adam? But God could have taken any body part and formed it into whatever He wanted. God could have taken His heart, a part of His heart, and formed a woman. God could have taken anything from Him, His eyeballs, His ears, and formed Him. But He takes it from the side. Here's what one commentary, commentary says about it, and I, I think this is spot on, Matthew Henry says this. Woman was not made out of his head to top him or to rule over him. Not of his feet that man shall trample upon her, but out of his side 
to be equal to her. Under his arm to protect her. Where do hens go? Under what? The wing of their mamas. Under his arm to protect her. And where is the rib closest to? The heart. To be loved by him. You see, God, in his wisdom and his sovereignty, took the side of man to make and form a beautiful creature, woman. Not that we would ever rule over her, not that we shall ever trample upon her, but that we should always guard, protect, and love her as our own heart. And men, I would ask this question to you this morning. Is that true of your spouse? Can you women say that is true of my husband? And men, can you say that is what you're doing with your wife? Because that is the provision that God has given to us, our wives. I love that comment from Matthew Henry because it shows us the equality of man and woman, but it shows us our unique roles. The woman is to be protected by the man. Woman, you were never meant to protect yourselves. That is our role in your life. It is also our role that we would love and cherish you, not to rule and reign over you and not to trample upon you. If you are in a marriage that someone is ruling and reigning over you like a dictator, pray that the grace of God would fall on that man and convict his heart. And if that man is trampling upon you, pray that God would gently and maybe even severely rebuke him. That he would look at you as a precious child of God to love and protect you. Now again, we are equal in the sight of God. We know that from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. That we are all image bearers of God, male and female. But here's what also is true. Men, we have a unique role. We are not equal in our roles. We are equal in our image of God, but we are not equal in our roles. We are called to lead and to serve them. And wives, you are called to submit to us. And again, you can go back to Ephesians chapter 5 where I taught this. We will only submit when the man is ruling under God's mighty hand. So yes, we are equal. But ladies and gentlemen, our roles in the marriage are uniquely different. And we men carry a responsibility to our wives that wives do not carry for us. May we never rule or trample upon them. So he says this, that he took from the side the man and created a woman. And then it says this, that what happened? That the rib that the Lord God had made, he had taken from the man and he made her exactly what Adam needed. And then it says this, and then he brought her to man. Like God saw fit to give his very first daughter away. You ever wondered why a dad gives a daughter away? It's because of this passage. We see God, the Father, give Eve 
the daughter to a man that he trusted, that he cared for. And he believed that Adam was going to care for Eve the way that God would have cared for Eve. So he brought and gave her to Adam. That is the first bride that's ever been given away in the passage. But God knew who he was giving her to, a trusted man. And now look at what Adam does and says. As if they're sitting at the altar of the marriage, the dad has just placed Eve's hand into the hand of Adam. He's kissed her. And now he's stepped back to see what they're going to do. And now look at Adam's response. He says this. Then Adam said, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken out of man. This is what Adam really says. Finally, it's about time. At last. I've been waiting for this all day. I saw all these other creatures have a spouse. And I had nothing. Finally. Thank God. And then the rest of what he says is the first love ballot ever written. You want to know the greatest love ballot? And there's a lot of them out there. This is the greatest one ever written. It's the first love poem ever written. And there's been millions since it. But Adam says something in this ballot to his wife before God. He makes a commitment to her, but also to God. Now look closely at the commitment. He says, alas, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Those two lines mean this. It shows us the blood relationship that now Adam has entered into. Like when we think of blood relationship, if I have a blood relationship with someone, you can never take that blood away. I will always be blood relationships to my mom and my dad and my siblings. No matter how far they may distance themselves from me, you cannot take their blood out of my blood. You cannot take their DNA out of me. And so what God is saying through Adam is this. You have now entered into a much deeper relationship than you ever thought was imaginable. There is a bond that now you are promising before God that can never be separated. You are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You have entered into a blood relationship with your spouse. And that is the promise that God has seen Adam make with his wife before him. That's why Jesus says in the New Testament, what God has brought together, let no man separate. In other words, no man can separate it. You see, even as we say in our vows, if you've ever wondered, why does the death of a marriage through divorce or the death of a spouse so painful? It's because you've lost a piece of yourself. And no amount of time will ever heal those wounds. And that is okay by God because God is the one 
that made marriage marriage and He knew the pain that it would cause us to ever be separated. And yet we live in a world that takes the communion of marriage and the covenant of marriage so flippantly because we don't see the pain that's caused when we enter into a marriage and then when we dissolve a marriage. Now, thank God, by the grace of God, there is forgiveness for that. But that will not always remove the pain of it, I promise. There is forgiveness, but there will always be pain. There will always be memory because it's a commitment that's way deeper than words. It's a commitment of the soul that you're making to another person. So Adam is saying before God, I'm making this commitment that I'm going to give all of her to you, to me. And I pray that she gives all of her back to me. That we will be bound forever and ever and ever. You see, that's the provision of God. That God does something miraculously with marriage. But it's like no other union you will have on this planet. It is a bond, an unbreakable bond. Now, yes, in the New Testament, there is provision for divorce. But you see what Jesus says about it. He makes provision, but he says it's because of the hardness of our hearts. This isn't the way it was meant to be from the beginning. And again, thank God for forgiveness. Thank God for his peace. And so I know there's many that have been divorced in here. This is not a condemnation unto you. It's just a promise and a reminder that the marriage that you have now entered into, may you always remember the covenantal promise you made before God and with your spouse. God takes this very, very serious. The reason He takes it so serious is because it's the very promise that He made with us in His church. Thank God and His promise he doesn't, I mean, think of all the times he could have just backed out of the deal. We've done some wicked, wicked things. And God has never broken his promise with his people. He takes it very, very serious. And he showed us how serious we are to take his word. And then he says this so that's the provision. He says this is the premise for marriage. This is how we ought to do marriage. So once you enter into this relationship, this promise, this covenant, it's to look a certain way. And man, boy, does it produce certain things. This is what Martin Luther says about marriage. And man, I might get in trouble for this one later. I'll say it for her. Uh, this marriage has probably caused more character in me than in Jenny. Like my marriage, not because of her, but because of me. Like I'm a character, I need more character. And my marriage has caused me to develop in areas of my life that I never thought I could develop. Marriage is the school ground of character. Amen? And so now he says, you want, you want to continue to grow and nurture? This is what it looks like. This is what must take place in your marriage. After he says, this is the bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. Just one side note. I was studying this this week. The word woman means this. The first time that Adam sees woman, he sees himself. It comes from the word man. 
But there's a piece at the end of the word that means this. He saw a woman, and the word literally means saw. Like when he saw her, he took this deep breath because she was so lovely and so beautiful and so soft. All he could say was, Asha. Think about that for a moment. And then God says this. We'll say this in closing. Therefore the man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and had no shame. Three things that we see. Every marriage must leave. If you were to marry, you were to leave. What the, 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 the word says this. It means that we are to leave all other relationships. There ought to be no other relationship in your life that is more important than your spouse. Like marriages break apart more quickly because people are unwilling to get rid of old relationships. That's why I hate Facebook. Like We're still holding on to old relationships via Facebook. It says this in, in the stats. One out of every three divorces in America, somewhere in the divorce uh, papers, it talks about the spouse reconnecting with someone on Facebook. Because they're not willing to leave. Like, fellas, leave your friends from high school. Leave your girlfriends from high school. You don't need them. You've got a spouse sitting right next to you. Like you don't need those friends. Leave all those relationships and cling to the one relationship that God has given to you that's most important. Leave the relationship. Therefore, he shall leave his father and his mother. What God is saying, he shall leave all relationships. And then he says this, when you leave them, you are to cleave to them. You know what that word means in the, the Hebrew? It means to stick to and not be separated. Are you stuck to your spouse? I hope so. That you would be stuck to them. And then it says that you would become one flesh. It is a covenantal promise. It is a promise that will never be broken. So you are to leave, you are to cleave, and you are to become one flesh. Here's what I'd like to say in way of application. Let's go back to the text. It says this in verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall into man. And while he, was, while he slept, God took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. Here's what we know to be true about Adam. It cost Adam a part of his body to have a bride. I want you to think about that for a moment. It cost Adam a big piece of him to have his bride. That is a picture of a man that's going to come 2,000, 3,000 years later in Jesus Christ. You see, it cost Christ his body for his bride, the church. So Adam, in chapter 2, gives us a picture of Jesus who's going to come that said, I'll give you my body so that I could die for my bride. And so that my bride, you got to remember this, without Adam's body, there is no life for Eve. 
And Christ says to us at the cross, I will sacrifice my body, I will give all of my body so that you, the church, you, the individual in the church, would have life and life to the full. You see, marriage is a picture of God's loving relationship with us. It is not man's idea. It is God's idea. But it's to show us the character of who Jesus is. Who lives sacrificially. And if He lives sacrificially, gave His body for us that we may have life, men, women, husbands, and wives, may we live sacrificially so that our spouses would have life and life to the full. That is what Christ Jesus did for us. That is what Adam in this text is showing us is going to happen 3,000 years from that very day, the sixth day. And then what does it say? Back to chapter 1. It says this. And God saw everything that He had made. Remember, this is at the end of the day. What had God made? Adam. He had made Eve. But most importantly, He had just created marriage. And He says what? At the end of the sixth day. Remember, somewhere in the day He said it wasn't a good day. At the very end of the sixth day. And God saw everything that who made? He made. And behold it. And it was good. The end of the sixth day. Let us pray. God, 